friends, and welcome back to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Hydaelyn and beyond. Uh, my name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hi, Levi. Hi, Jen. Hi. Are you dying? Well, the podcast is one year old today, Jen, so I guess you're you're dying of old age. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, on the day that this is published, essentially? This this is the fifty-third episode. So that would make it the um the episode one year after our humble beginning. Okay, I'm not gonna check the math, I believe you, and that's fucking crazy. That's crazy. I remember when we did the first episode, we're like, we're sitting at the dining room table very far away and we had microphones that were not these. Correct. Right. And other equipment that wasn't the equipment we have now and no idea what the fuck. There was a lot of anxiety going into that for sure. I hope we've gotten better in the past year. We actually did a listen through to the very first episode we published and even though it's it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. It wasn't so bad that we were compelled to pull it off and right. redo it or like, something. <laughs> yeah, we, we thought about it. We're like, if we need to trash this whole thing and start over again, <laughs> hopefully it sounds like it's a lot more natural because it feels a lot more natural now. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, congratulations. Happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's it going today, Jenner? It's, it's good. It's a Sunday. It's pretty chill. What are you drinking? Um, I made myself a, I don't think you can call it a martini, but I'm just going to call it a strawberry martini where I take um, strawberries and muddle them up, add some lemon, add a little agave syrup, a vodka and some orange liqueur. And it's um, refreshing and super yummy. Well, I've been going very hard on the old Final Fantasy 16, but we're taking a break today to talk about Ninja. Thank you for showing up. I understand how difficult it must be for you to peel your butt off of the couch and plant your butt in a different couch. It's not a couch, it's a chair. It is hard. The game is good so far. Nice. It's going to be old news by the time this airs. How many hours in are you at this point? I don't know. Um, 20? I took a couple of days off work to mainline it, but I have not been glued to the couch nonstop either. So um, it's it's been a lot of hours for sure, but I have not been doing it like sixteen hours a day. Or oh anything. no no no! You you're you're pretty diplomatic about it. You still make time for um, showering, which is great. <laughs> you make time for um, your other pursuits, and then obviously you know podcast shit. We can't we can't not do it. Yeah, but it's it's good. No spoilers, obviously, but you can at least I I can really see a lot of. 14's influence in 16. That's what I've been hearing. Well, it's a good thing. They needed a win after 15. After 15, and also they, they've had a hard time landing a hit, even with 14 at the beginning. Yep. Anyway, this is not the Final Fantasy 16 review cast. This is about Ninja, the job quest through level 60. Mm. 50. God, I was like, shit. All right, <laughs> stop the recording right now. I have 10 more levels to do. So let's get to it. Ninja as a job in Final Fantasy goes all the way back to the OG Final Fantasy 1, where the thief character would then become a ninja, and they have been a common fixture since then. 
They have sometimes been kind of like a hybrid agile and magic class. They get some of their own unique ninja powers, and also they will have physical attacks and throw things and so on. The way they are implemented in 14 is interesting because even though their role is melee DPS on paper, they have some very strong ranged abilities, Mm -hmm. which are on a limited resource allocation. But they can go ranged, and you if you know a fight well, or if you are on top of things, you can time boss phases where you've got to get away from the boss to dodge shit with your ranged attacks so you don't lose that sweet, sweet uptime. Yep. And then you can teleport back into the fray and get back to backstabbing. Yeah, so I've pretty much exclusively been a magical ranged DPS since starting Final Fantasy XIV. That's, that's kind of like my jam. I stay away. I'm, it's the same thing in real life. You know, I stick to the corners. I stick to the shadows and, and lob in shit from afar, hoping I don't get noticed. So melee, anything, I'm like, I just, I don't, I'm not interested. It's, it's too close and personal. Everybody can see what you're doing. Um, there are too many opportunities for, or not opportunities, but too many moments where you have to like bail and not do anything and then run back in. And I was like, that seems dumb. Or I could just, I could just be literally in bail status the whole time <laughs> as a ranged DPS. So... I will say, however, that ninja is super fun and really interesting because you have both. Like, I can throw in a range something something if there's like an AoE. I can zip out, throw some daggers, throw some lightning, go back in, finish up with like, it, it's it's really satisfying. So ninjas in Eorzea, well, they are not from Eorzea. They are from a place called Doma, which is on a separate continent. Yes. Rather, um, Doma has been conquered by the Garlean Empire. Yeah, it's considered an imperial province. Yes. We will learn much more about that whole deal (laughs) later on. So we're not going to worry about getting ahead of ourselves with the whole Doma lore thing. However, as far as the actual ninja job goes, these people are descendants of an ancient clan from an age of war and strife. Their ancestors isolated themselves into a secluded village and devoted themselves to martial arts so that they could defend their village against much greater threats in this age of chaos. Later on, warlords recognized the martial prowess of these people, of this clan, and enlisted their services. So ninjas came to serve from the shadows, conducting assassinations and espionage on behalf of the Doman warlords. This is when they came to be known as the Shinobi, or the Hidden. We are here in Eorzea at the Rogues Guild. We have just finished saving Limsa Lamensa from a coup by the Bloody Executioners. Guildmaster Jack asks us if we've been keeping our stabbers sharpened, as he has a job and the dimber damber what put the executioners on the chopping block is just the one to do the doing. That's us! That's us. We're the dimber damber. And it sounds like there have been some recent arrivals to Wineport. They look like peasants and claim to be refugees from a far realm, 
but they are doing more skulking and spying than a peasant ought to do. Jack wants us to go to Wineport and meet up with Underfoot to spy on these newcomers. Yeah, they're not breaking any laws yet, but it's our job to check them out and make sure that it stays that way. Um, so we meet Underfoot at Wineport and we're talking about stuff, do 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 and Underfoot's like, whoa, 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 did you hear that? That sounded like a scream. Let's go. So we run to a nearby courtyard and we find the quote unquote queer maid all alone, all by her little lonesome. And she is surrounded by bodies. This is a Midlander with shortish dark hair. There are three dudes lying on the ground around her and we're like, so what's going on? And she launches into a story like, I am but a poor maid who was only going about my daily shopping when these guys came up to me and they wanted to rob me and then they saw that I was super poor and then they were like, I want her money. No, I want her money. And they started fighting over the pittance in my coin purse and they just knocked each other out. And at that's, the exact same time. That's where we're at. And With we're a like, three-way punch. Yeah. Yep. That. Yep. That's weird. But okay. You know, she seems nice enough. Yeah. Underfoot who is the rogues guild lala not surprising given the name it's very cute I he s- i love it so much <laughs> he explains that we are not part of this attack we are here to help yeah we just want to make sure everything's okay and wow it seems like you really got lucky in this one you know not not everybody you encounter in lenosia is going to be as dumb as these guys apparently so just I don't know, exercise a little bit more awareness when you're out and about. Okay, okay. Underfoot sends her on her way, and then he turns to us and says, this story is suspicious. Or, there's more to the rum doxy than she's letting on. Let's go on the drag and see what she might be hiding. Yeah, he asks us, like, does that seem right to you? And we're like, no. (laughs) Not at all. Something is fucked up. Oh, also, a big red flag. Well, not really a red flag, but um, when she... Says, like, thank you for the tip. I will take that into consideration on my next outing. And then she bows. Well, that's weird. Nobody in nobody in Limsa or Lenosia is bowing like that. So just, just, just add it to the pile of suspicious things that are going on with this woman. Outside town, we find more felled bodies who are dressed in peasant garb. Unlike the thugs from before, though, these are dead, except that one is barely conscious. He groans to us. I have failed. I beg of you, take this and return to Master Oboro, to Lady Subame. He gives us a strange stone and perishes. We follow the maid's trail up into Upper Lanosia. Oh, oh, oh. Also, before we all walk away from Wineport, you know, we're still, still talking to Queer Maid, um, and she bows and she leaves, and then Underfoot follows her. A bat flies by in the foreground, just squeaks by. We head north to Upper Lanosha, and we find the maid in some stone ruins in the southeast portion of that area, hiding behind a tree. We and Underfoot confront her. Just then, a strange voice sounds out. She hides behind a tree, as if that could hide her from me. We are joined by a, quote, eccentric Easterner, who arrives with a front flip out of nowhere. This guy has long dark hair, a band of black face paint across his eyes, and is wearing a combination of leather and chain with a red chest piece. His face is permanently painted in an exaggerated mocking expression, and he 
sidles up and does this weird fucking one-legged pose at us and starts talking. Yeah, these are, um, I don't know if they're like referencing kabuki or some of the the gestures that would be made in that sort of like kind of theatrical um yeah here's the asterisk for this whole thing for me and i think for gen 2 we are not steeped in this brand of media a lot of the references and the tropes and subversions and so on that might be present here we can't recognize because we don't consume ninja shinobi whatever sure type stories or historical kabuki plays or that too <laughs> um which yeah i don't know so the 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 postures that he adopts are very foreign um to us anyway um and they're foreign to aorzeans and they're very exaggerated this guy is a character and immediately you're like all right, is he a tremendous douchebag? We don't know if he's a villain or if he's just like annoying. How about both? Yeah. So basically this guy is like goth the Riddler. He is also accompanied by a black bat with yellow eyes. Yeah. Ah, so the bat was his. He calls out to the maid in disguise. She didn't really think she could fool me in those silly rags, did she? We don't know what the fuck's going on, but our character chooses the lady over oh, the yeah. weirdo. We like kind of stand in front of her like, are you going to do something weird right now? And he starts like laughing like, oh, you think that she needs protection? No, she she can totally handle herself. And in that moment, we look back to look at her. She's gone. She's already sprinting at this dude with her knives, her fucking daggers drawn, ready to, to, to engage in battle. And he assumes the position. She assumes the position. They're ready to go at it. And all of a sudden, a shrieking from nowhere lodges itself in the ground between them. And a new guy flips into the scene. And apparently this is Master Oboro. The weirdo remarks, Oboro the Dim leaps onto the scene to save his little swallow. Yeah, he's like, he's speaking in third person. In the most unsurprising attack the realm has ever seen. <laughs> Fair. We have names now for the new guy, Oboro, the lady, Subame, and Oboro shows himself dashing into the scene. He has short black hair, a scar over his left eye, and is in a similar outfit to the eccentric Easterner, except that his color scheme is purple. He declares, cease your ramblings, Karasu, before I rip that tongue from your bloody beak. Karasu. So now we have a name for this antagonist, Karasu. And Karasu continues his semi-meta shtick, acting like the unfolding drama is part of a play. Our hero is wounded. His childhood friend stands before him, hate in their eyes. This is what Karasu is saying. Oh, the tragedy of it all. The audience sobs. Oh my goodness, childhood friends, no. This is when Karasu is like... Why are these two other weirdos still hanging around? A couple of bit players who forgot to leave the stage. Yeah, we're like we're here. We're checking this out. It's our job. But this is when he takes a shuriken of his own and throws it right at our face. And we do like the coolest slow-mo dodge as it like whizzes by our head. And then we just turn to look at him yes. like, really? And so Karasu, he's like, oh, well, look at that. Okay. Oh, ho. The faceless rogue show surprising skill my face is right here perhaps he yet has a role to play cool great are you gonna talk like this the whole time yes as the first act has come to a close <laughs> and karasu now exits stage, stage. smoke bomb <laughs> and vanishes from sight along with the bat 
So, all right. Now we're all, the four of us, chilling, wondering what the fuck just happened. So now Obero needs to explain what's going on. So my name is Master Obero. This is Lady Tsubame. And we are here on a mission assigned by the elders of our village to hunt down Karasu and kill him. Um, because he is a traitor to Doma. He's a traitor to our village. Years past, there was a Doman rebellion against the Garlean occupation. Domans were outnumbered severely, but they had the martial prowess, right? But despite that, their moves uh, were known every single time. Someone was feeding the moves of the Domans to the Garleans, and they were very violently subdued. Um, and this is when Doma Castle fell, and thousands of Domans were slaughtered uh, because of this betrayal. And Obero sees his bro, Karasu, fleeing into the forest. And he's like, well, obviously it was him. The elders uh, decided that he needed to be executed for good reason. So that's why they are there. Oboro has come to take vengeance on Karasu at the behest of the elders of this village that these shinobi come from. Right. Underfoot, who has been wondering, you know, are you guys legit? Are you a problem for us rogues here? He is now satisfied. <laughs> He's impressed. Come to mill a treacherous rook who blow the gab on his comrades. Consider all underfoot impressed. <laughs> Oboro does not understand one word of this I, sentence. Right? Yeah. And in, in this case, I'm going to look at Oboro. I'm like, I know it's, it's pretty rough. So Oboro had lured Karasu here to this location in the attempt to take vengeance on him. But it cost them the lives of their shinobi comrades. The people we found outside earlier on perished in this ambush attempt, which has failed. So now is when we show Oboro the stone that we received from one of the fallen shinobi. And we now, the players, see it for the first time. This is a diamond-shaped gem with a little swirling inscription. This is the ninja job stone. Although it is tradition for the stone to be returned to the village after a shinobi falls, suddenly the stone shines. Could it be that one of their fallen brother's souls calls out to us? Are we fated to fight as one? Asks Oboro. He makes us an offer. If he instructs us in the art of ninjutsu, we will in turn share our knowledge of Eorzea with him, as it's clear that they don't know enough about the local lay of the land to succeed in their mission. Tsubame protests, we are not Domen, our characters are not Domen, but Oboro is more realistic. After today's losses, they need local assistance. Underfoot is sorry to lose a Dimber Damber like ourselves, but if he were younger, he'd be keen to try out these techniques himself. He gives us his blessing to leave the Rogues Guild and go work with the ninjas. We head off to their temporary base in Raincatcher Gully, which is a warehouse at the ferry docks. And Underfoot heads back to the Rogues Guild to report that the situation is under control for now. At the ferry docks, we find a guard in peasant clothes outside. Oboro tells us that we have to give the guard the passcode to enter. The guard will say, Eyame, and we respond, Kaede. These are evidently Final Fantasy XI characters, so it's a bit of an Easter egg. Neat. The shinobi have done up the interior quite a bit. It has a shrine, wall scrolls, paper doors, and training dummies embedded with shuriken. Those are the mokujin? Yes. 
So Oboro gives us a crash course in the ninja arts. They draw energy from the world around them, the heaven, the earth, and the heart, similar to what we would call channeling either. The power is channeled through hand gestures called mudra, and we are first taught to call the power of the heavens tin. The way that mudra work, mechanically speaking, is that you will combine these three mudra in different combinations to essentially queue up your ninjutsu ability. And once you input a certain combination of mudra, then you hit the ninjutsu button and out comes something. We just have 10 for now though, so pressing 10 will spit out a shuriken. The Fuma shuriken, which is the fire star. It's, this is a ranged attack, but it's just like a flaming shuriken. Yeah, and if you ever mess up a combo of Mudra, then the only option becomes to cast the Rabbit of Shame, which is a little bunny in like a black mage garb that appears on your head and mocks you and shows everyone around you that you fucked up your ninjutsu. Yeah, that's not like damaging at all. <laughs> it's almost, a, you know, it's, it's like a hostile work environment. <laughs> Aboro now gives us an overview of the shinobi philosophy, as we are now one of them. For the shinobi, blade and mind are one. A weak mind gives rise to a weak blade. The false mind gives rise to a false blade. And a strong mind results in a blade that will have no equal. So Aboro wants us to practice the the Fuma Shuriken. Uh, So we go out and, and... Um, the little uh, Mokujin that's out there, the little wooden wooden man. We throw some fire on him in the form of the, the shuriken, and he's like, cool, right on. After we have done our Fuma shuriken on the dummy, Oboro tells us that we need to try out our skills on a real opponent. We begin a duel with Oboro. He begins by summoning Onibi, which are little glowing flame motes, and we have to use the Fuma shuriken to dispatch them, or throw knives, as these will explode as soon as they touch us. And then after we pass the Onibi test, Oboro summons in a giant toad for us to fight. Mm-hmm. Pretty basic. And then finally, we fight Oboro, which is a pretty basic just, you know, stab him up. Except that he summons more Onibi during the fight. Mm-hmm. Once we defeat him, Oboro tells us that we have exceeded his expectations. Well, now that he's taught us stuff, it's time for us to hold up our end of the bargain so he doesn't stick out like a sore thumb in polite society. And he bows and we're like, no, okay, stop that. No more bowing. We we bow in response. Like, this is how you bow? In the most awkward way, of course. Uh, so I'm an Aura. And my bow is so much more awkward than his. I'm like, no, no, no. We don't bow like that. We bow like this with our spirit fingers sticking out very awkwardly away from our torso. And then we bend our bodies in half. Okay, that's the appropriate bow. Yes, I think this came about before Aura were a player race. Right, because this is not the way. The the regular way. (laughs) (laughs) What happens, I guess, in the the in-between is that we teach him the the appropriate way. You know, you you put your forearm in front of your torso and you kind of do a little, you know, like a, you know, a gentlemanly bow, not like an Eastern style bow. For anyone wondering, Jen did this on New Game Plus on her level 90 character and not on her podcast character. Right. Which is a Lala. I feel like, would it have been the curtsy if I had been Otis? I'm assuming so. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, uh, Crash Course and how to... How to bow in Eorzea. And Tsubame is loving this moment because Oboro is, he can't really grasp it yet. 
<laughs> he can't help it, which is fine because obviously this is his culture. It's going to take him a bit. But Subame, and in in future moments as well, she seems to like pick up on this shit so much faster than he does. So she gives him a little. She messes with him a little bit, and it's great. No, Oboro is very headstrong, and he often operates on false assumptions. So he will plow ahead doing what he thinks is correct, despite the reality of his abilities and the situation. And this this speaks to his upbringing and his training as a shinobi, which is, it leans very heavily on tradition. Yes. Um. And, and unquestioning obedience, which will be a theme for this whole quest line. Exactly. So it leads to very inflexible thinking. You're discouraged from thinking for yourself, essentially. Um, so I think there's there's a little bit of a rebellious streak in Tsubami. So she's able to kind of, she can handle this so much better than Oboro can. But anyway, that's a cute little moment. Um, and the next we are on to learning Chi. So we leave and level up and come back. He tells us to go practice our ninja arts. He's going to go practice his bow. When we return, Subame and Oboro can tell we've been practicing by the way we carry ourselves. Oboro has been training too, and he gives us a perfect Eorzean bow. Oh, look at that. And now we learn the Chi Mudra, which summons the energies of the earth. And sadly, Chi immediately makes our poor Fuma Shuriken almost pointless. Absolute. Except for a very few corner cases, which will not be relevant for a while. For now, it is surpassed by the combo of Ten, then Chi, which when you execute with ninjutsu, will cast Raitan, uh, which is a high potency lightning blast. The other new combo is Chi, Ten, which becomes Katon, or a ranged fireball. Yeah, so which is our groups. AoE. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we learned those things, super simple. But for more intense training, we have to go to where there's a waterfall. Yes. And he's, uh, Obero found uh, Fool Falls, which right. is in Upper Lenosia, and decides that's the spot. Back in the village in Doma, masters would take their students to a waterfall nearby to master the two mudra techniques. Why are you saying mudra instead of mudra? Because it's a Sanskrit word that's pronounced mudra. Mudra? Yes. Oh, okay. I, I looked it up, and mudra is a Sanskrit word that means essentially a hand gesture. Sanskrit? You're majoring in a 2,000-year-old dead language. All right. Uh, Latin. That's the best I can do. Here you go. Are you doing a reference? Yes. This is from PCU. Have you ever seen PCU? What is PCU? Well, fuck. All right. What moving is on. It? It's a movie. Great. Okay. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> But yeah, so at the falls, Obero explains, this is this is part of the traditional training for a shinobi. The sound and the spray of the waterfalls allows you to focus um, your mind more. We need that that singular presence, that singular mental focus. Um, so the waterfall allows, like, like, it's like a white noise. It kind of allows you to focus on what you're doing, because if you're doing your mudra in the wrong order, that could make or break your fight. So that's life or death. And rather than worshipping the Twelve, as Eorzeans do, their gods are present all around them in the earth, in the water, in the air. And I'm like, well, so are ours. They just have, like, you know, names and shit. Aboro is, is about to continue his lecture, but we are interrupted by a jokester. Who is more foolish, the fool of Fool Falls or the fool who comes without realizing he's been followed? 
And of course, Karasu strides up and strikes his one-legged pose. And he again starts narrating things in third person, casting Oboro as the dim one and himself as the hero. Did the dim one not know the hero postponed two assassinations to make this journey? How did the dim one know the hero would find us? He is predictable. Where else would he bring us his prized pupil but to a waterfall? Yeah, it's like you're you're a slave to tradition. Of course, this is where you would be. Easy mode. So we draw our weapons and it's time for a practical lesson. Because <laughs> Obro is mad. <laughs> <laughs> and Karasu, I mean... Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of a dick, but you cannot argue with the shit that he's saying. He's like, our hero spits on tradition. I am ever changing and never predictable and always, always in style. I'm like, wow, this guy, this guy has panache. Congratulations. So he's, he, to me, he's actually kind of likable. And then he says, those who cling to tradition are bound to repeat the mistakes of their forebears. Like, how quickly you forget the mistakes of your past. And this is when Obero is like, fuck you, man. Like, he, you know, he, this is, he's, he's looking at Karasu as the traitor he is. You killed thousands of our countrymen and you have the audacity to say something like that. Fuck off. And so, yeah, like, let's go. Let's go right now. The fight starts off with both of us, our character and Oboro against Karasu and of course, Karasu taunts us constantly. In terms of the fight mechanics, he just drops these big persistent circles of swirling dark energy on the battlefield. Oh, he's a greasy little fucker. <laughs> greasy he is little all fucker. over the place. Yeah, zoop, zoop, zoop. And this is a dark version of a ninjutsu we're going to learn in a little bit. And I wish we got the dark version. Ours looks like stink lines, like we're pig pen. <laughs> This fight is encouraging us to use Raitan to attack, since we cannot melee attack Karasu very easily with all of these swirly puddles on the battlefield. But once we knock him down to half health, then he retreats and Imperials rush in to continue the fight. These guys go down pretty easily. They're here now to encourage us to use the Katon fireballs to take out the groups all at once. Yep. And then finally, an Imperial ninja shows up, and then we in Arboro do a two-on-one fight against him to take him down. Yeah. So we lose Karasu, Karasu once again. And now that that's over, Orobo is like, um, okay, I need to tell you a little bit more about our past and what happened. Me, Tsubame, and Karasu all grew up in the same village. Uh, we were the same age. We all started our training at the same time under the same master, Master Gekai. It was very clear early on that Karasu had a, a an affinity, a talent, an innate talent for um, ninjutsu and also for keeping his mind clear. He was never burdened by, you know, just these invasive thoughts like good and evil, <laughs> right and wrong. So maybe a little antisocial personality disorder going on um, or either just like a supreme pragmatist. Anyway, he was real good at stuff, though. Um, after the Garleans completely annihilated the Domans, Oboro witnessed Karasu running um, away, and precious few survived the, the slaughter. Not even Master Gakai. He was almost unrecognizable. And his face was so mangled by Karasu as to be unrecognizable. Oh, was he killed by Karasu or was he killed by the Garleans? Just because the, the implication is that it was his fault because he betrayed them. 
So he, if Karasu did not kill their well, master directly, sure, he's at fault by proxy. It does say that Oboro wonders if Karasu vented some frustration on their master's body. So it was just like a, a total, a total fuck. Because Karasu and Oboro and Tsubame have this shared past, it makes all of their movements that much more predictable for Karasu, and that's why they're kind of operating at a disadvantage right now. However, because we're part of the club now, we are weird, and we're also interesting to Karasu in a way, which, so hopefully our, you know, our presence will kind of make it more difficult for him to... (laughs) Predict our every move, because that's what he's been doing so far. Also, though, Oboro believes that Karasu could have killed us at the falls. Yeah. But instead, it seems like he was testing us. It's that whole, that old chestnut. Ooh, you intrigue me. Therefore, I will play with you like a cat does with a mouse. Kind of like, okay. We go level up and return, and our skills have now advanced significantly. Oboro hears not a cry from the door as we enter nor a creak from the floorboards as we draw near. Yeah, we good. We must now train in the field. We now have our first lesson in assassination. Debatable if it's actually a lesson in assassination, but whatever. It's more like, I don't know, reconnaissance. Rumor has it that Captain Grimowill of the Bloody Executioners has had several attempts on his life recently, and Aboro speculates that Karasu is behind these attacks. And I was a bit confused here because... The Executioners are the divisive faction in Limsa, and you would think that the Empire would be in support of people who want to upend the current order in Limsa. Yeah, and so, well, as we know, in our time, in in our early days in Linosia, when we're trying to get the lay of the land, and we're talking to all of the former pirates who now have to be, like, above board, quote-unquote, pirates or farmers... Or merchants and they hate it. The only way that you can still be a quote-unquote pirate is if you're going to go after the Garleans. That's fair game. You can't do that shit to anybody else. That's every privateer group in the city though, not just the executioners. If anyone should be spared reprisal by the Empire, it would be the executioners, I would think, because they seem in the best position to flip the script on Merylvib and to restore the old days of let's pirate everyone and undermine this cornerstone of the Eorzean alliance. I think what it did was because in in this quest that we're about to get into, we have to do some shitty things to these people to try to gain intel. And if the people we're trying to protect but also get information from are very sympathetic, then our tactics aren't going to be very good that's a fair point i I guess if anyone has earned our ire it would be the bloody executioners yeah we have to like kind of fuck with their minds a little bit and well and their bodies and (laughs) you know if these were nice guys if these were non-bloody executioners it wouldn't feel very good as a quest that's a fair point also to be fair we are made to do sociopathic things see copper bell and crap but um oh yes either way you've got a fair point that this does make them a good target for us as well and i think like this is this is quest line they did like later on right so they they've learned the mistakes of prior arr job quests hopefully yes right so we with the benefit of hindsight now when we go into copper bell 
we understand that there is that the, the things that we're fighting, you know, the giants that have been imprisoned in the earth for generations, that is a sympathetic group of people. But we are not allowed to have that sympathy yeah. when we're doing when we're doing Copper Bell. They're like we have to adopt this giants are bad. We must eradicate them from our mo- methods of capitalism. Um, which, you know, in the year 2023 and the hindsight of, um, you know, this the ARR being built 10 years ago, you know, all of these things. Anyway, so I think at least it, it seems like they made it a little bit easier for us to swallow what we're about to do to these people. <laughs> sure. Agreed. Um, so Aboro tells us that nothing short of death will cause a shinobi to forsake their mission. So Karasu will strike again. If we can determine when and where, we can intercept him and take out Karasu. Yep, that stands to reason. So now it's time for us to do a little a little spy work. Finally. So one thing that Obero knows is that uh, a lieutenant of Captain Grimovell, um, his name is Wolf Stan. <laughs> um, he loves a hot spring. And where do we know the hot springs are? Well, that's Bronze Lake. So let's go to Bronze Lake and wait for him to show up. We meet Obero and Tsubame there, and they're they're dressed up in disguise. They look like normal folk. <laughs> Quote unquote normal folk. Oboro is wearing this fancy puffy white shirt. He's wearing the Seinfeld shirt. Vest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but even with the disguises, he's like, our mannerisms are still super off for where we are, so we're still gonna like hide ourselves. I'm also gonna teach you this new thing. It's called uh Shukuchi. And this is a technique that basically allows us to compress space and move a large distance in the blink of an eye. Right. Which is really cool. Mechanically, this looks like a 20 yom teleport. So you can zoop over to a place if you've got to get into position for a backstab, or if you want to get away from like a big area of effect attack, you can shukuchi your way out of there or into there. However, like all of the movement abilities in this game... It is not a teleport. It is a very fast straight line, yeah. which means that you will hit everything between yourself <laughs> and the destination. It does not get you around obstacles no, or no. danger zones or anything you, you like that. You don't become like, you know, uh, a, a loose bag of particles. You're still very much a solid person. You're just moving through that atmosphere very, very quickly. So there are limitations to what you can do with this. And when they give you the skill, he says as much like, you know, it, it, Subami is going to meet you on this ledge right here. I'm going to, we're going to watch Wolf stand from the roof. You can like Shikuchi your way. It's, I, ugh. There, I feel like we're pronouncing it wrong because Shikuchi. So we're going to stand on this ledge. There's a bit of a gap before the, the roof line of the building, but that's perfect. That's perfect. You know, it's not too far. You, this doesn't allow you to fly. So it's a good practice. You cannot normally teleport on top of things with this ability because it will path you into the wall or obstacle on the way and stop your shukuchi there. Yep. But the way this one building is laid out is that there is like a little lip of overhanging rock that hits right on the corner of the building. So you can shukuchi yourself onto that building. And once you get there, they make a big deal about only a ninja could get up here. Even though you can just like walk off the edge and fall onto the building. You could totally jump. You just jump. But as far as practice goes, it's good practice. So you can, I did it, uh, the first time I did it, I was a little too aggressive on how far I wanted to go. So it did just like shoot me straight through the building and ended up on the ground again. So I had to go upstairs, try it all over again. Do you have the setting enabled that will not let you place your target reticule beyond the range of the ability? No, it just turns purple. You can go into your settings 
And there is an option, I think it's under the targeting options, where you can make it so any sort of ground placement ability like this will never go beyond the effective range. If you place your cursor beyond the max range, it will then place... It'll just stop at the edge of whatever exactly. it is. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. So you can just go with your mouse and there you go. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we get on this somewhat hard to reach rooftop and we stake out the springs. We soon see a trio of pirates, Wolfstan, the lieutenant, and a row and a Lala accompanying him. After having marked our target, Oboro wants to use a bamboo breathing rod to approach our targets underwater, but Tsubame warns him that maybe this non-native plant might look suspicious. Totally fair. And Oboro is like, but but I'm so good at underwater surveillance. And Tsubami's like, you know what? I got it. Easy peasy. I just need to change my clothes, grab a couple of bottles of booze, and we're we're um we're good to go. And Oboro was like, Okay, that sounds that sounds good, but what do you want me to do? And Tsubami does the whole like, you know what? Your skills are too good to be utilized down there in the in the in the garbage we want you to pull the strings of you know you're the mastermind here you can stay on this roof and just make sure everything goes well in a really obvious patronizing way which Obero does not pick up but again Subami proving that she's just savvy she's just she's got the street smarts she knows what the fuck is up with these guys so she runs off into a changing room and we go to meet up with her to to do this thing. And she's like, she's in a bikini. Like, aha, yep, this is what we're doing. Because Wolf Stan, we could overhear him while we were on the roof. And like, yeah, wine and wenches and blah, blah. So she's going to be the wench in this scenario. The plan is that she's going to bring a bottle of wine that is not doctored to him to kind of prime him, to get him drunk. Yeah, so like, here's wine. Totally tastes like normal wine. Great. And then when he's a little drunk, she's going to give him the, the fucked up wine. Then we have a second bottle that is doctored. So once he's all drunk, we're going to offer him more wine and he'll be too far gone and he will not refuse this wine from a stranger, us. So he's drunk now and he's slurring his words and hiccuping and all that all that jazz. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm a very important person in the bloody executioners and stuff. And, you know, I'm the only thing that stands between my captain and in death and she's like oh my gosh you sound like super important and interesting why aren't you with your captain right now it sounds like his life might be just in danger because you're not with him and he's like nah, nah, nah. he's like you know he's he's doing this thing alone i'm the only person on earth who knows where he is and that place is aleport then she ninjas away he turns to look at her and she's just fucking gone and um okay great now we're off to aleport Gathering there at nightfall, surveying the scene. Oboro notes that the dock workers have a suspicious gait. They are shinobi in disguise. And Oboro is sure that Karasu is here too. He is too proud to entrust this mission to his lackeys. We are warned that the bats serve Karasu, creatures of the night. They do not need eyes to see, so our stealth will not elude them. And now we get a stealth mission. We all split up to survey the area, and we have to sneak across the docks in Aleport and down to one of the piers, and that's where we find Karasu. When we are stealthed up, we can walk through the other shinobi. They don't give a fuck. But the bats, though, they will detect us if they're nearby. The bats are like on little 
linear patrol routes going back and forth. So we just time their movements and then we sneak past them. Yeah. If we enter their line of sight at all, then we're, we're, we're boned. Yeah. And sadly, our new teleport ability does not let us actually teleport while stealthed. Nope. You just got to stand there and wait for them to turn around and then walk by. It's, it's like old school gaming. We find Krasu on the very edge of the dock. He is taken aback by our appearance. He is supposed to surprise us. This isn't in the script. And then Oboro appears. We are here to finish off Karasu. So the battle starts with us and Oboro facing down Karasu and two minions. Once he takes some damage, Karasu tries to escape, but he is intercepted by Subame. So we fight him and his minions some more, and he soon tries to escape again. We chase him, but he soon calls in more reinforcements and vanishes from sight. So we're left here to mop up the scrubs, and he is long gone. Oboro curses Karasu's escape, and we head back to Raincatcher Gully. Meanwhile, we see a scene with Karasu reporting his failure to some unknown master. We can only see the bottom of this mystery person's face, who is a scarred Midlander with a gray beard. This mystery person begins lecturing Karasu. This failure does not become you. If these stray rats return, kill them. Yeah, and then if you fail, kill yourself. Or I'll kill you. So we go and level up more, and then we return to the storehouse. It is time to receive our shinobi garb. That's right, it's artifact armor time. It's level 45! Woo! This was disappointingly uncreative. (laughs) It is, again, you go to four places and fight four easy scrubs, and then you got it. So Obero requests a delivery of garb from his village. He organizes this through the Rogues Guild to, you know, to keep it like super hush hush. Um, so his village sends out some garb. Uh, we're supposed to go ch- to pick it up at the Denevel checkpoint. Which is the border between Middle and Eastern Lanosha. Yeah, you can get there really quickly through uh, Wine Park. And we show up. There's a suspicious guy and then a shady guy. And we approach the suspicious guy and he's like, oh, are you here to pick up a thing? That's weird. A guy was just here to pick up the thing. And he said the next person to ask to pick up the thing, I should kill him. And then poof, he's immediately like an Imperial Shinobi. And we got to fight him. We kill him. And then the shady guy was like, I would not have done business with you guys if I had known death was part of the plan. And um, he runs away. But before he can get too far, uh, Karasu shows up and kills him. And then Karasu's like, all right, so I got four boxes for you. I put them in four different locations, and I put one of my shadow people on each thing. Like, he sacrificed four of his people. Like, literally, he just sentenced them to death. Karasu's mockery here is that, why did you not tell me it was your name day, little chick? I would have bought you something far more fitting, like a sack of Gisal greens. Hey, because we're horsebird people, right? Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but we are not fit for the honor of this garb. Our teachers are lacking. Lucky for us, though, Karasu is here to take over. All right. So, yeah, now he's doing the thing where he has spread our armor across the lands and he has a person who will fight us to the death to claim the armor from them. Okay. And then we go there and we find people who are impersonating normies. Um, there is a... There's a farmer. There's a fisher. There's a merchant. Uh, there's a sunbather. And, and midwife. A midwife. And they, they poof into Imperials and we kill them. And then we pick up the armor piece from the chest they are guarding. And then we return to the checkpoint. Before you go on, I just have to say some of the lines that these guys delivered 
were were kind of fun like kind of like in a james bond sort of way um like the fisher for example at bronze lake they they, they try to like you walk up and you you click on them and they're like oh hello young lady are the fish not biting today is it because they've been told you're already a dead woman? And then, oh, hello, uh, would you like to sample some of my tomatoes? I heard they go real well with death. And then, like, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was really fun. I hope they're proud of those being their last words. I, you know what? As far as last words go, you could do worse. Aboro runs up now as we return to the checkpoint because it's been so long. And, well, across it was like, when you got all the four crates, if you get all the four crates, meet me back here. Right. And we find a rolled scroll on the ground. It wasn't there a minute ago. And it says, welcome back. Hello to you as well, Oboro. I left the present I promised you on your doorstep. Such a shame you weren't home. Oh, God. So he found our fucking lair. I'm sure he's known the whole time where it was. There's there's no way he didn't know. Yeah. yeah. So for now, we're like, oh, crap. All of our friends, well, their lives are in danger, so we got to hustle it back. Oboro teaches us the final mudra so we can perform optimally in the coming fight. The mudra of the heart. Jin. Not Jin. Jin. Uh, And this gives us four more options for our ninjutsu move. The first one is Hyotan, which is an area of effect ice attack that inflicts bind. You can forget about this one though entirely because it is never needed over Keton. It takes more inputs, so it takes more time. It does comparable damage, and you don't, you can't bind bosses. You never need to worry about memorizing this combination. It might be useful maybe in deep dungeons, and that's it. Next up is Hutan, which is a massive speed buff. This reduces your cooldown delay, your attack delay, by 15%. So you want to keep this buff up at all times in prolonged fights. Then there is Dotan which is the swirling area, swirling yellow area on the ground, which deals damage over time to enemies. And you only want to use this one as of the current Endwalker meta on groups. It is never more effective to burn this on a single enemy. Also, tanks note, yellow swirlies on the ground, they are good. Bring enemies inside them. Don't do the noob tank move that I did, where you run away from all ground effects and then the ninja yells at you. Yeah, because I mean... The animation isn't explicitly like a good guy animation. You know, it's not good guy colors. It's not blue. It's muddy. The initial effect when it falls on the ground also looks kind of scary. It's cool, but it looks like occultish. So, you know, visually, it's not very clear. Yeah, but it's good. But it is good. Yellow swirlies, good. Good. The final new move is Sweeton, which is a high damage single target attack which also lets you execute your trick attack when you are not stealthed. So now that we have them, Oboro gives us an extremely bad crash course on how these things work. It's very confusing. (laughs) The the only button press that matters is the last one. So it's going to be two mudra or it's going to be three mudra. The last button is the thing you're going to do. Yes. So this is true now for every single combination. You can press any order of buttons as long as the final input matches your ability. You cannot repeat inputs too. Yeah, you can't go like 10 tangent. <laughs> you can't you can't double up, but other than that, that's a much simpler way of remembering. For instance, both Jin Chi and Ten Chi cast Rayton since it's two inputs. Two and button then... presses and the last one is Chi. Yeah, exactly. Nope. 
Um, anyway, we run back to the storehouse and we find Shuriken on the ground and the storehouse guard is stunned speechless. So we hurry south into the jungle to look for Subame. And deep in the jungle, past a footbridge over a chasm, we find Subame wounded on the ground. Karasu mocks us from the shadows, implying that he has been enjoying torturing her. And she was awake for every moment of agony and terror. This time you go too far, yells Oboro. I mean, he's kind of, he's, you know, he's still bound very much by his training and tradition. Like he's, it's, there's like the, the point of his mission and he is not really to go much beyond that. And he needs to keep his shit in check. And the whole, the, the maintaining the presence of mind, right, is and this he'll explain later, is basically suppression. So suppress your anger, suppress your emotions, suppress your questions, okay? Do not let that overwhelm you. That is not presence of mind, as it was told to him. But Karasu wants him to flip out, so he eggs him on further. No, this is, this is an emperor moment. Yeah, yeah. Embrace the rage. Yeah. Let the hate flow through you, blah, blah. He recalls the slaughter of the other shinobi at Doma Castle, and with this, Oboro flips out, going full dark mode. Yeah. Stand back. I shall slice this crow's tongue, then tear him limb from limb. Yeah, he's he's fucking done now. And Karasu is like, bravo. Finally, what I see before me is a man and not a mokujin. Like you had, like before you had all the charisma of a, like a wooden fighting stick. Um, and now I see, you know, the, the passion in your eyes. Now you're worthy of death by my blade. Great. The defeated shall die like a dog and the victor's tale continue for another day. Let's fucking go. We do fucking go. We start off by fighting Karasu and a few other shinobi. Soon, though, summoning circles appear in the vicinity. And these will send a nonstop stream of bats into the fight. And you need to attack these circles directly. Otherwise, they will spill out bats continuously. I don't know about you, Jin, but I spent like the whole fight on ad duty and Oboro pretty much handled Karasu by himself. It was it was like, I don't know, half and half for me. A lot of a lot of bats. Uh, but, you know, we got there. Once we are victorious, Karasu ends up on the ground, his back to the footbridge and the chasm. And Oboro declares, Karasu Redbeak, in the name of our elders, I take your life as divine retribution for your crimes. Your bloodstained beak will feast on the innocent no more. Karasu laughs. Yes, his beak is stained, but he is not the mastermind. He is not the traitor we seek. And then he walks us through the truth of the matter while constantly insulting Oboro's intelligence. <laughs> Recall that at Doma Castle, his master's face was so maimed as to be unrecognizable. This is because they did a switcheroo and they maimed someone else and I'm assuming put them into his master's clothing. Yep. But at the time, Karasu had no idea. And when he found what he thought was Master Gakai's body, the whole situation looked at him to be very suspicious. He's like, this was not, a, this was, this isn't normal. I don't feel like a, there's something, there's something up. Something stinks. That is why he fled because he wanted to figure out what the fuck? So he flees not because he was a traitor, but because he's trying to figure out what happened to his master Kikai. He wanted to know is is he actually dead? Something's fucked up. I need to figure this out. So that's why he that's why he fled. And Oboro back then he's watching Karasu flee, 
And the only thing he could possibly think about the reason for his flight is because he's the traitor. He's the one who's been feeding because he couldn't possibly have assigned blame for that on Master Gakai. There's just no fucking way. His his training, his childhood, the way he is as a person would not allow him to do it. Um, so Karasu flees and the first thing he finds is Master Gakai alive and well. And Gakai grabs him, holds a knife to his throat and says, "I, you have two choices. You join me or I kill you. And at that moment, Karasu was like, well, eh, the logical choice was obviously to not die. You know, living as a Garlean spy was better than the alternative, which would have been death. Karasu says, well, guess you've got to kill me now because your revenge oath and so on. Yeah, he's bound by the tenets of his mission. But our master will be at Candlekeep Key when the time is right, if you want answers. Karasu starts to narrate his dramatic death in the third person and gives a parting request. Don't go off dying. It's unbecoming of you, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Don't succumb to mindless tradition. Um, this is a new era, and you do not have to fall on your sword anymore. And, um, you know, living life even in the way that I chose to live it, is better than the alternative. And sure, the path that I chose was unsavory, but I behaved as myself the whole time. And I I couldn't possibly have lived my life any other way. And I hope that you do the same. Now he goes to his death. Only he can die in style, though. And Karasu does a handstand and then pushes off into the air over the chasm and bites down on something. I'm guessing it's supposed to be a grenade, but we don't see it. Some kind of hidden explosive, yeah. There's a click sound. Yep. And then he explodes in midair into a fireball. Two fireballs. Aboro is just confused. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's on the ground just like, what the fuck just happened? So we bring Subame back to the storehouse, and Aboro is conflicted. The mission's done, but those words about their master still trouble him. We leave him to ponder for five levels, then return. When we get back, Aboro is ready to leave. He says that Subame has mostly healed from her encounter with Karasu, and the mission's done. And that matter about my master is irrelevant. The task is done. But before leaving, he wants to go and clear his thoughts one last time, so he goes out alone and asks us to watch Subame. So we go over to Subame, and we're like, hey girl, how's it going? And she's like, I'm totally fine. Um, the wounds weren't really that bad. I-, I think Karasu only did it because, like, he wanted to instigate Oboro. He wanted to, like, poke him. Poke him where it hurt. And it totally worked. Anyway, I'm fine. I'm more worried about Oboro because ever since, you know, Karasu died, he's been acting really strangely. And um, I need to go check on him. <laughs> and... She's like, do you know where he might have gone? And we're like, oh, no, he definitely went to Fool's Falls. Fool Falls. Uh, they give us a little pop-up, like, where do you think a burrow went? He went to Bronze Lake. He went to Limsalomensa. Can you imagine? Like, he's just in the Drowning Wench. Or he's at Fool Falls. Obviously, he's at Fool Falls. It's a waterfall. The whole thing is he's a predictable man. So we go. And there he is, contemplating. And at first, he's kind of annoyed that we kind of broke our promise <laughs> and followed him there. But at the same time, he's like, all right. The both of you know me too well. I I get it. He's like, as much as I'm trying to fight it, Karasu's death left me a changed man. All of my life, I questioned nothing. I was a slave to tradition, um, to my mission. My purpose was a blade, and blades don't think. 
And he thought that suppressing any questions that would come up, suppressing his emotions, his anger, anything, this this turmoil, well, the you know, the years-long suppression of these things led to this turmoil that he can never fucking escape. It's like he has tinnitus. This this shit that is going on, like his entire life has tinnitus. The only way his brain can calm down is if he is in the presence of a waterfall and he can feel the benefit of that white noise metaphysically. Right now, what that means is he has to pursue the truth. He has to know if Master Gekai is actually alive and pulling these strings. What I'm going to do is embark on this journey where I find him. One of us will die, but if it's me, I'm cool with that because then at least I'll know and my mind will be at rest. So fare thee well. And off he goes. He smoke bombs away. Very cool. Predictable. (laughs) Subame has been stalking us, of course. She thinks that this solo last stand is bullshit, and we're going to go and help. Yes. So we head over to Candlekeep Key in Lower Lanosha. This is the ferry dock that's to the west of the Morabi Dry Docks. We show up there and ask one of the Yellow Jacket guards what the dealio is. He says that a small skiff is just due to dock soon, and that's it. Funny, though, a milkmaid was just here asking the same question. Subame tells us that the milkmaid is one of Oboro's favorite disguises. <laughs> He's a very pretty boy. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Guard. Can you tell me if anything weird has been going on tonight? Like, no, young lady. We and Subame are going to go and stake out the whole key and wait for Oboro and the master to show. Night falls and a group of hooded figures land on the docks, accompanied by a gray-haired imperial spymaster. The hooded minions begin to fall as shuriken fly out of nowhere into their chests, and the attacker strides out of darkness. It's Oboro. I trust I am speaking to the imperial spymaster, he asks. None other, comes the reply, and at last we see the mystery person's face, who is an older gentleman who is scarred and eye-patched. He confirms... I am the spy master, but you can call me master. Oh shit. Gross. Aboro obviously has has questions and you know wants to know why why Gekai basically abandoned, betrayed his countrymen. And it, ugh, god, Master Gekai is so smug and so annoying. He is the most punchable face. And he explains, you know, I, you know, I did what I had to do, you know, uh, shinobi over the generations. We've had a variety of masters. All right. Like there's no prescription here for who we work for. I worked for Doma for a while. And then when a more powerful entity came along, I decided to work for them. It's as simple as that. Um, like he's a sociopath, obviously. And I, I bro is just like incensed. He's like, y- y- you are not any sort of he just like he can't he can't wrap his mind around how master gakai this person who he thought of as a father the one who taught him the ways of the shinobi that like so many tenants of of their art did not sink into this man's soul and he it was so easy for him to turn his back on his people what gakai says though is that his people are the shinobi they are not the domains. Right. So he did this to supposedly spare their village from the empire. He's like, I didn't betray you. I saved you. Like, oh, how do you think that happened? Right? Like, I I went to work for the Garleans. That is how our village was saved. Okay? I saved you. 
He's like, but at the cost of thousands of lives and this completely winnable battle, we lost and because of your spy bullshit. Well, the Empire serves me, says the Master. There is something to be said for their ruthless efficiency. All your lofty words, and you stand here alone because you are weak. Oh, yeah? And then Subame appears in a puff of Oof. smoke. Yeah, he. I'm not a subordinate because we're not an army, but I am here to support him because I believe in him as a person and I believe in his ideals, something that you know nothing about. And Master Gekai can't believe this. You choose the company of a glorified sellsword over that of your master? Yeah! Yeah! The adventurer fights with a sense of honor and purpose that you have long forgotten. This finally wipes that piece of shit smirk off of his piece of shit face. And then we drop in out of nowhere. Like, very cool. Aboro declares, let us show this false master what true strength is. Yeah. It's fight time. Yeah. This is a little bit spicy fight, at least for the level 50 job quest yeah, finale. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Subame and Oboro start off fighting two Imperial nobodies, and Gekai beelines right for us. And he just drops nonstop fireballs and lightning blasts everywhere. And all the while, of course, we got to keep our DPS up. Of course. Good time to do those. Do your Raytons and your 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 daggers and your Raytons again. Yeah. Um, Yep. This continues until about the halfway point when the master unleashes a special ninjutsu. It splits his entity into four. So him and then the three mudra. Three ninjas appear and they are named Chi, Ten, and Jin. As cool as that seems conceptually, they go down like scrubs and then we win the fight. (laughs) And he's dead. He's like, he's super dead. He's not like panting. There's no final. Yeah, exactly. No puff smoke. Not like Inquisitor Guillaume who has like a little. Yeah, he's just he's just fucking done. (laughs) And when the battle's over, Aboro thanks us for our help. And he thanks the late Karasu. You may be gone, but not forgotten. Oh, that's nice. It's almost like a eulogy if I were dead. Motherfucker, Karasu shows up alive and well. And Karasu is a transformed person. He has ditched the black band across his eyes. He is now in different garb too. He's wearing some stylized black and brown attire with a red scarf. But how, wonders Aboro. <laughs> Why, when it comes to playing dead, I learned from the best. Sure did. Yep. And he's here though to return this undelivered present. And Karasu kicks over a coffer that spins over across the cobblestones and lands at Subame's feet. It is the chest piece of our shinobi garb. And then he walks off. Oboro tries to stop him. Now that the truth is out, won't he come back to the village? This is actually surprising to Karasu. He actually has a like a an expression on his face that is other other than like mockery. His demeanor changes entirely. There's no yes. mockery. There's no weird one-footed pose there's no rhyming yeah or so there's, on. there's no you know wall there he's he's legitimately like surprised the that- only hint of his old shtick here is that he says this wasn't in the script mm-hmm. and he, he's like as as nice as that is for you to say the truth is that i did still work for a trader and that makes me a trader and that's how the village would see me i mean he's not wrong um and he's like, as, as, as much blood 
was on the hands of Master Gakai, I I have about as much on mine. And honestly, I'm not really interested in going back to the village. I have bigger plans. My fate is grander than this. And, um, you know, maybe we'll see each other one day. But I'm, I'm off to handle my own my own life free from the, the, the fetters of the shinobi life. And he tosses his soul stone to Oboro. And now at last he's he's free and he can do whatever he wants. He tells Oboro to go back to the village, tell them that Karasu Redbeak is dead, which he is metaphorically. Right. And give them the soul crystal as proof. Yeah. Uh, Oboro agrees to this plan and he will take what he learned here and try to improve the village. He will build a home that honors all of the fallen, one that Karasu would be proud to call home. Karasu leaves, stage left, tailed by his bat. Back at the storehouse, Oboro wishes us goodbye too, and teaches us one final technique, Kasatu, which gives us a free Mudra incantation and boosts his damage. But Oboro is not returning to Doma. This experience has shown him that the village needs to grow, and he is going to travel Eorzea to learn what he can from our home. Subame will return to report the mission's success. Yep. So Alboro's going to stick around, learn learn a little bit more about uh, our Eorzean ways, and uh, you know try to, to modernize his village a bit. Subame asks us to check in on him from time to time. After all, his Eorzean bow is not as masterful as he thinks. <laughs> One final dig. So, Jin, what do you think? I I I enjoyed it. I did. Um, obviously, there were some some tropes in there. You know, you, you can't get away from them. Uh, as far as like ARR. Uh, patterning. Sure. I, I think that my experience was lessened because I, I don't watch enough Japanese media to understand the kind of arc that's going on here. Sure. And I, I feel like this is, is pulling from a, a well of existing kind of shinobi mm-hmm. media fiction, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. I mean, what what I have in um, in my repertoire is uh, Ninja Turtles and, and other such shallow Samurai, uh, pop cats. culture iterations of, of ninjas um you know like three ninjas you know like rocky uh tum tum uh colt the weird thing and the only thing that makes this not feel though like a very kind of mundane story is the karasu factor yes and i feel like the quality of this quest line depends on how here for it you are for his arc he's been doing the whole thing where he calls himself a hero and he calls borrow the fool and so on and at first it feels like he's just being a a piece of shit antagonist Mm -hmm. but i honestly think in recollection that that is the truth of the story yeah this is not a borrow story he is the fool that has his journey to understanding karasu is the main character and he has the most growth in this arc yes we see him you know he, he starts off with his whole kind of jester persona but we see him transform from having this persona to actually acting authentic at the very end. What it seems to be, at least in my interpretation, he is kind of like putting a mask on himself in a way. Yes. Because 
he is not down with Master Gakai's whole scheme. Yes. No, he had to like partition his soul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the whole the black mask uh, jokey stuff, Mm -hmm. that is the servant of Gakai. But the actual Karasu, he wants us in Aboro to confront his master to free him from the servitude. Yes. So he has actually been teaching us. He's not doing his where he just wants a good fight. So he's making us strong so he can then fight Reap us. Reap the at benefits. Our... Yeah. He <laughs> actually wants Reap. us to to win the fight against Master Kakai, which is why he's doing the best he can to give us like a, a forge, a crucible, which yes. to strengthen mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. And you can see also that the camera work in the final scene, like besides his full makeover, like the camera shows him from below slightly and in profile slightly giving him this heroic hair, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> drifting in the wind, a uh, noble figure at the very end, as he can now be the hero that he's been calling himself all along. Yeah. And the, the, the changing of clothes, he's no longer doing these these weird poses. Um, like the, the mask is off, literally. <laughs> um, so I found Karasu a very, a very compelling character for sure. And... Um, this is like the beginning of Obero's story now. This is this is him starting his his own journey, a journey of personal discovery after achieving a freedom uh, in his own way. Yeah. Not you know he's not he's not a not shinobi. He wants to be shinobi, but he wants to be one that is a uh, you know that can think for his, for himself. Um, and you know tradition shimadition. We're you know we we say what. It, what is it that people say about tradition? It's just like peer pressure by dead people. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, love that, and also uh, Tsubame as kind of like the voice of reason and the like the cooler of the two. And it when so when when Karasu was calling Obero the dim one, it's it was like a way to goad him into th- like why is he calling me dim? Well, look around you. Look at your life. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you feel is is restricting you you're like you're you're you have bound yourself um which yeah makes you a little ignorant and therefore you're stupid uh and then gekai at the very end kind of drives this home as well by insisting on calling him a young one so you're young you're dim you're weak because he's predictable as fuck um he's beholden to tradition all these things um that's not the case anymore so yeah yeah any other ninja comments, Jen? No. Okay. Next time, we are playing through the main scenario quest, Notorious Bigs. And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch uh, for whatever reason, you totally can at pod return ffxiv at gmail.com and with that we hope you guys enjoyed the episode have a good day or night and we will see you next time